All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 147. I'm Bob Ekhayeri. It's Tuesday night. It's when we talk to you about college football and everything that's going on in the news. So if there's something you'd like to discuss, feel free to just hit request. You got to use a Twitter app to speak, but just feel free to hit request. And uh, it's, uh, right in the bottom left, I believe. And we'll be happy to talk about whatever you want to discuss. But there's a lot going on. We're getting into media days. So we're going to have some folks actually at media days for both Mountain West and Pac-12, as well as the Big Ten um, in the upcoming week. But I know we're going to be joined by a couple of people who are going to be covering for us. But it looks like we have someone who wants to join us right now. So let's see here. Let me go ahead and fix that. Hit the wrong button. Go Tigers. I'm going to let you up right now. And let's hear what you want to talk about. All right. So, you know, as we're kind of letting up our first caller, I just wanted to mention a couple of really odds and ends. So D3 Morrisville State, they're in upstate New York. They've decided to go with black turf. They're going to have a black football field. They were not the first to do it, but their their question was, why not? And, uh, you know, I think the uh, rank and file at RCFB noted that uh, I can't imagine how hot that surface will be for late August. And early September games. I mean, in D3, it's usually early September. And actually, it's so funny. One of the fans from LSU said this. This is literally why not to have a field. But anyway, um, so go Tigers. What's going on? Uh, hey. How are you? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Big LSU fan here. Um, uh, I, uh, LSU uh, does indeed run college football. And I seriously, I think we're winning the natty this year. Um, there's no reason why we can't. And um, uh, we, we're going to win the natty. So. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, I mean, LSU certainly has got the, has, has got a chance. They're not a, they're not a laugh. I mean, they're not like, I don't think anyone would be surprised if LSU were to, to make a play for the playoff this season. I think, Obviously, there's some challenges in the SEC. I mean, we've got, you know, Georgia and, and Alabama in the way. But I think, you know, gosh, last year was such a surprise in a good way. I mean, I think people were sort of wondering how it was going to go, especially after that early season game with Florida State. Pardon me, yeah, with, we're um, beating them this year. Florida State. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's I'm glad we get to get that game again because it's going to be a real test for both those programs. I think both those teams – Went into that game last year. No one was quite sure what we were going to get. And by the end of the season, both teams looked way stronger than anyone expected. I mean, there are some losses for LSU in defense, but I think, again, I think there's there's no reason why we couldn't expect them to compete and battle, you know, Bama for that title in the West, you know, because that's something Brian Kelly can do. He can coach. Yeah, if the and, media, I, if the media, you know, SEC media days are this week. If the media is smart, they'll pick LSU to win the West because um, uh, LSU is winning the West this year. Alabama, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not high on them. Um, I'm, I mean, I know I'm, they say to never count, on, count out Saban, but I'm counting him out this year. I think LSU will easily win that division. You know, I'm, I'm always wary to count him out only because those are that's usually when he's the most – I wouldn't say dangerous, but that's usually when he kind of just – Seems to kind of go through and give Alabama, put that Alabama fear in everybody. But I, again, I, LSU is so athletic right now. They, I think there's no reason to see they, why they couldn't necessarily um, do well. If they can get a nice running back, you know, kind of get that offense going, I think they're going to be an excellent 
you know, they're going to be an excellent challenger for the SEC and definitely for um, the playoff spot. I mean, when the playoffs expand, absolutely, I can't even imagine how wild it's going to be. How many teams? It's going to every year is going to be how many teams can the SEC get in? Yeah, is at large teams. But um, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how they do, particularly through. And I'm and again, I'm glad we get that that opening game in Orlando with Florida State. That's going to be exciting. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, hold on. Can you hear me? Uh, sure can. Yeah. Um, you know how in my my um my name I ha- my name is Go Tigers and then ten and four because we finished ten and four last year. Um, that'll be changed to one and zero very very soon. Um, <laughs> I love this. I love it. We're getting we're getting hype for the season. This is it. I I can't wait. I'm so looking forward to this game, and mm-hmm. uh, we'll see if it turns out one and zero. I think it's gonna be fun for. I, I'm gonna be watching it. That's gonna be one of those must watch games. I think. Yeah. Uh, opening it up this season. But thanks so much for joining us, man. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, All right, let's see. I'm gonna go ahead and let up Thack as well. He's one of our um, regular contributors. I just you know as Thack is coming up here. <laughs> Uh, one other thing, one story I loved seeing today, and this one was kind of a, not one I think it got on the radar a lot of people because it's kind of, you know, it's kind of one of those squirrely stories. But um, so uh, some of us at RCFB and some people in college football, I mean, I'm not saying a lot of people in college football follow sumo wrestling because it's kind of fun to watch in the offseason. And it's basically a bunch of lineman drills. If you really look at it carefully, you know, <laughs> the way those guys line up and just slam into each other. But. One of the interesting stories this today that, that got posted on RCFB was from, um, oddly enough, the Pro League in Japan, which is more like an amateur league. So there's a former amateur Yokozuna. So not like he didn't go pro. He was on the low. Like he, he hasn't even hit college, I believe, yet. But this kid, um, he decided, even though he was just a stud at uh, sumo wrestling, his dream has always been to play football. So apparently he was on a practice squad in the X League. Which means it, it, they have weird. I mean, once you leave the United States, some of the rules get kind of funny. So even though they're the pro league, they allow people who can't play in the pro league to be on practice team. So he was on the practice team, and then you know he was in a all star team that played an Ivy League all star game uh, in Japan, like at the end of last season. After the season ended, a bunch of Ivy League players went there and played a bunch of uh, a mixed team of just a grab bag of. of football players from all divisions and even semi-pro leagues in Japan. But this kid has always wanted to do it. So he went to the CFL combine. So the Canadian Football League has a combine that's kind of open to international players as well. And when he was at that combine, Colorado State noticed him and and a few other NCAA schools apparently. But Colorado State made him an offer. So this young man, um, uh, Hidetora Hanada, is going to be heading to Colorado State to chase his dream of being an NFL player. And that's just awesome. I mean, I love hearing about things like this. I mean, the kid's like 6'1", 240, something like that. Some decent enough football shape from the photos we've seen. But we'll see how that goes. I mean, maybe it goes great. Maybe he just he does great, good enough in here and goes back and plays in Japan. But, you know, you want to see that. You want to see that kind of... When we started recruiting so heavily in Australia for, you know, kickers and such, as well as some, you know, awesome players in any position, especially... Um, throughout the South Pacific. I think this is one of those things that it's just fun to see guys all over the world wanting to come and play college football. So, Thack, what's going on with you, man? Ooh, hey, how's it going, Bobak? Can you feel it? Yeah. SEC media days is this week. Can you feel it? We are moments away from some college football, and I have never been more excited. Uh, it, it, it's going to be a fun one, man. 
something that came across uh, my news line today that I thought was particularly funny. Uh, uh, allegedly, I believe this is uh, has been confirmed. We will be seeing a new rule change in college football regarding punting, uh, which led to the downfall of one of the most disgusting endings to a football game I have ever seen outside of a handful of disgusting endings by Missouri football, uh, notably the fifth down game and the Auburn game last year. Uh, Missouri football, uh, there was a uh, playing Kentucky last year. There was a botch snap that went about 30, 40 yards down the field, almost into the end zone. The punter runs all the way back, tries to kick it at the last second, and he barely gets it off, immediately tackled and uh, by a Missouri uh, defensive uh, special teams player. And, uh, well, that was the fourth quarter. There was about uh, two minutes left, and uh, uh, Kentucky gets the ball back with a 15-yard uh, roughing the uh, punter penalty. That has since, I believe, changed. The tackle box has uh, a forward and backward limit of five yards now, if I'm uh, not corrected. So the punters can still uh, still move and be protected uh a, uh, laterally five yards and uh, now vertically it sounds like yeah I, it's an interesting one and i'm going to go ahead and i just as you were talking about it i know the post you were talking about i'm going to go ahead and post that in one of the replies if people want to see it but yeah so apparently the uh sec is going to have i mean during sec media days they were some of the folks have you ever done a media days and i'm not sure if that's like if you do one of these a lot of the times media are just sort of you know killing time, waiting and writing and, and prepping in this big open area. And they were kind of going through some of the slides, I believe, for the following day's presentation. So somebody spotted that, yeah, there's going to be this change. Um, roughing the kicker fouls will be uh, will not be uh, called if the uh, kicker is displaced by more than five yards from the position of the snap. So how this works in practice, if it's going to make a major change, um, I'm not sure, but certainly in, in these situations, like as you said, the Kentucky game where the punter fumbled the ball all the way back, you know, that was something where the old rules or at least the existing rules seem to kind of get it wrong. So, yeah, that's that's an exciting. One. You know, if we're going to talk about other rule changes that were mentioned during uh, SEC media days, actually, I believe it was today, um, Brett McMurphy tweeted that the SEC's coordinator of officials said that, well, putting it in a shorter way that horns down will not automatically be an unsportsmanlike penalty. And that's something very sensitive to Texas fans and folks in the big 12 really don't like the fact that sometimes Texas can get a unsportsmanlike call on the opposing team for doing the horns down um, the full quote. And again, this is McMurphy quoting the SEC's coordinator of officials unsportsmanlike conduct needs to fit one of three categories. Is it taunting an opponent? Is it making a travesty of the game? Which, by the way, is a great quote. Um, is it otherwise compromising our ability to manage the game? There's a difference between a player giving a signal directly into the face of an opponent as opposed to doing it with teammates celebrating after a touchdown or on the sideline. To net it all, to net all that out, every single occurrence is not an act of unsportsmanlike conduct. So again, I think it. It's not like it's you get off scot free if you start really being a jerk with the horns down in a way that would get you a, a penalty in any no matter what gesture you're making, but uh, like if you're doing like a year out or something like that, um, you know, rather than a more obscene gesture that I could suggest. But it, it see it sounds like that's not going to automatically get a penalty, which I think is good for the sport because you got to let you got to be able to just sort of relax and and uh, 
Um, have some fun with it. I mean, it's college football. That's what makes it fun. Uh, the silliness, the stupidness, it can go too far. But, you know, again, the uh, the uh, SEC's coordinator of officials, John McDade, even said, like, the same thing applies to, you know, if a player wants to do the gator chomp or uh, the land shark signal for uh, Ole Miss. But um, I think that's a that's another one of those rule changes that's popped up in these early days of the uh, early days, because SEC football media days, like four days in a row in the early half of media days for the SEC. You know, I'm going to go ahead and let up also the water boy, one of our folks. He's going to be covering uh, Pac-12 Media Day. So there's a little bit going on there, too. Hey, what's going on? Oh, let's see here. I think he's uh, let him get his uh, get himself unmuted here. Um, let's see there here. There we go. I can hear you. All right. Excellent. Sorry about that. No worries. Yeah, what's going on? We got five, a little over five weeks to week zero. We're in the middle of media days. Some already happened, others going on. We got Mountain West and Pac 12 coming up. Very excited. Can't wait. Yeah, you know, and I just want to say the Pac 12, usually, you know, the coaches are, in my opinion, the main reason you tend to go to a media day because you can get a little bit more out of them. Players sometimes, you know, they, they're not recruited to be. As I say, they're not recruited because they're great at rhetoric or elocution. They're great at their position. They're great at what they do. They're athletes. But um, the lineup, though, for the Pac-12 is actually more interesting than I expected because you've got so many star quarterbacks. Obviously, Caleb Williams is going to be there. Then you got Michael Penix Jr. from Washington. You got Bo Nix coming from Oregon. Uh, Shador Sanders from Colorado. Uh, Cameron Rising from Utah. Cameron Ward, I mean, I still think he, I feel bad almost for Cameron Ward because he's also a good quarterback. I mean, that was a huge get from Incarnate Word last year. Um, they got him and his uh, head coach to be the offensive coordinator at uh, Wazoo last year. So, I mean, th- there's so much talent, especially at the QB position, but elsewhere. Which is, like, I mean, which is just so perfect because it's totally Pac-12. All that talent, tons of cool coaches too. And Unlike every other conference, they do it all in one day instead of two or three. So very limited like options for the media to actually be like tweeting out like what the players are saying and what the coaches are saying. Just pack 12 things, you know? Yeah, and I, my goodness, seeing that many teams in one day is going to be actually kind of brutal. I don't envy you uh, because I'm glad there's going to be two of you over there because that's going to be uh, – there's going to be – I'm very curious how quickly that's going to be run. Actually, what is it? looks like they've got – yeah, last year, oh, yeah last year basically they have the coaches give an opening statement and then they do a Q&A like for the coaches and as soon as they start the Q&A though for the coaches then they have the players on a side like a uh, stage if you will um, two at the same time and they do like a Q&A so you have the coach and the players at separate like places doing Q&As at the same time the only things oh, that's that are brutal. Yeah, the, yeah, the only thing that's independent is the uh, is is the coach's like opening statement. But of course, the really the big opening thing is that the commissioner's opening statement, and the fact that they won't be announcing a TV media deal for next year. And you know what does that mean for the schools that kind of have to budget and, and and know what they may or may not be expecting from 2024. That's a huge deal. I mean, it's also going to be like the one-year anniversary from when he said we're working on a media deal for 2024. So Exactly. And, and, and poor the one-year anniversary of saying they're just, staying in L.A. When, yeah. Oh, my you gosh. Know, yeah. 
Exactly. Well, you know, we've let up someone else real quick as well. Um, Michael, you're going to be one of our, our folks who's going to be covering Mountain West and, as well as the Pac-12. Love to hear some of your thoughts on what's going to be coming up. Oh, mute's in the bottom left. Yeah, that mute thing was a little tricky. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I apologize. Is. Uh, good evening. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, I had the opportunity with Jake, who was just speaking, to cover the 2019 Mountain West Media Day. Uh, and as Jake was saying, it's such a different uh, event. The modality of it is so different uh, because they cover it over two days. And so they split it so that there's a, a day for you to speak with the players. And each team brings two different players. Um, and the way that they select those players, the coaches choose which players go is always so fascinating. It's such a funny, uh, a funny choice that they make. Do you pick the player who's most prominent, who's, who's, who's the biggest name? Um, some coaches kind of strategize a little bit. And, and uh, I think, Jake, you were saying uh, years ago that for Wyoming, I think that coach, um, he always picks people who he, uh, are on um, – maybe special teams or something. I guess this year he did it. He picked a quarterback and a linebacker, but in a previous year, he, he didn't want uh, players who knew too much. I could say too much to the media. Uh, sometimes uh, players are chosen because they represent certain, um, uh, I, I, I guess, ideas or, or have certain messages. Uh, so it's always really interesting to talk to the players and to see uh, both their opinions and their positions, but also uh, to really kind of understand uh, who they are and, and what they're about you know michael i gotta ask you what do you think about what's going on right now with san diego state because this just keeps going on and on and on and i mean we, we we there was a big meeting that happened yesterday but nothing came out of it publicly i mean last night chris vanini said there was nothing um stated in the board meeting regarding san diego state's future but it sounds like ross dellinger just and by the way ross just moved over to yahoo sports he's no longer at si but he just he just mentioned, I think, an hour ago on Twitter that the Mountain West actually did inform San Diego State that they will remain a member, which I love that that's said in like an ominous way. <laughs> you know, like uh, it, it's um, uh, I, I don't I don't know here. But what do you make of it? Well, I think I'm going to agree with Eagle Dog, another Fresno State uh, poster on Reddit, who uh, said lawyers are the only winners here. Uh, and really the litigiousness of this situation the awkward, let, uh, awkward phrasing of that letter that was sent out uh, about a month and a half ago, um, this, this sort of strange phrasing of it that was meant to uh, to appear amorphous enough under under any possible circumstances. Uh, I think that that really led to the situation that we have now where the Mountain West was forced to kind of be the good guys in a way and, and were forced to say, hey, we're, we're going to accept you back even though we know um, that it doesn't really work. I feel a lot of people are using uh, relationship metaphors, and it, it's funny how... Oh, my I God. There's one I have to just share. It's Cooling Vent, an Iowa State fan on RCFP. He, he characterized San Diego State in the Mountain West. It's like that crazy college couple that goes to a bar, and they're having an off night. So one starts flirting with other people, and the other just gets really drunk and acts crazy and pretends not to care. Then they still go home together somehow. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, that really nails it, I think. Uh, and, and it's funny how 
I, I think it really speaks to the nature of conferences and, and what they're for. I think we've gotten away from that in some ways, or maybe we kind of conceptualize it differently now that the purpose of conferences is really for institutions, academic institutions and their athletic programs um, to feel secure together with each other. Right. Um, and I think we really saw that when we go, when we think back to the 2019 media days, there was some, some internal tensions uh, that were very present, but at the same time, everybody wants to say, oh, no, we all we all love each other. <laughs> we're all we're all best friends. And, and um, all the coaches really speak very highly of what all the other programs are doing and all of the infrastructure that they're building and the, the, the programs that they're putting together. Um, but I, I think there's a real sense that everybody knows that if you can get a better option, you kind of have to take it. But they're just hoping that they can be the better option. Right. You think about a school like Boise State that's won three <laughs> Fiesta Bowls and yet isn't in the same position as San Diego State, who hasn't been to, uh, uh, you know, uh, one of those uh, New Year's Six Bowls. And so there's really a lot to think about, about population and about how that how much that matters, how much your media deal matters. And eventually you have to come to the conclusion that for the Mountain West, they're better, they're stronger. Uh, by bringing San Diego State back into the fold for as long as they'll stay. Absolutely, you know, and it, it's kind of interesting to see this dynamic, as you said, play out because they are, and the Mountain West historically would always say, you know, and I remember um, even at Media Dave, like if they weren't going to lose a program, they were usually said, we'll be grownups about it and we'll be fine with it. Like when Utah left, for example, to join. The Pac-10. But I think the way San Diego State went about it, and as I've mentioned in previous um, uh, Twitter spaces, mm -hmm. the uh, the way they kind of tried to leave one point with Boise State to join what was the Big East when the Big East was trying desperately to survive, and then you know they became the American. But mm -hmm. at the last second, they both went back, and Boise State had not gone as far as San Diego State had gone. Um, yeah. So it had not. and But at the same time, all the indications afterward were Boise State actually helped smooth it over with the rest of the conference and said like look guys we're not gonna let, just let them back in and so it was like everyone went back to normal um but yeah no that was that was something else um and i think but this time it just was too clumsy this time it just it, it, i think that, it was that letter that's a legendary piece of writing because of I how it, bad it was i think it was purposely clumsy i i think that san diego state wanted to buy more time they liked the idea of being in limbo because if the Mount West said, Oh no, we left and we accept your, you know, you leaving. And then they did get a PAC 12 offer like in October after a PAC 12 media day, they'd be like, okay, yeah, you're right. We did leave. So here's the rest of your 17 million. You know, we'll see you later. I, f I feel like it was crafted by a very smart, like lawyer who, who might even teach law. I don't know if you know any. Um. <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing, too, though. I mean, at the same time, it sounded great on paper, but they forgot that there's a human factor to reading these things. <laughs> the human factor was like, you know, it was like it, uh, they were, uh, I don't know, it didn't pass a Turing test or something. You know, when the human read it, it's like, this, oh, oh, yeah. no, 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 we to, can tell what you to the regular, Yeah, to the regular college fan, it's much like that relationship status that was broken down on Reddit. Very you know, much. Uh, Michael and Jake, stay here for one second. I just want to let another person have a chance to talk and want to work folks in. Gamecock Superman, what's up? It's been a while. How are you guys uh, doing? It's great uh, to talk to you guys and uh, share in our passion of uh, college football, obviously. Amen. But uh, I have two questions or two topics I kind of want to bring up since we're in the preseason. My first topic is 
what quarterback or we'll just say player do you feel right now has the best chance of winning the Heisman? Besides Caleb Williams? Yeah, that you would put money on. Because right now, I believe Brock Bowers is kind of my under-the-radar or dark horse, so to speak. But it's unlikely that a tight end would win the Heisman. Yeah, they're usually gunning for being a finalist at that. You know, I mean, I hate saying that, but that's unfortunately where a lot of folks seem to be. But... Gosh, I mean, and it, it's interesting because we were just talking about the lineup at the Pac-12 media days. I, I, and I'll let the other whoever else wants to chime in here. I think, you know, within the Pac-12 itself, you've got, uh, you know, Washington with Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix at Oregon. Um, those two are going to be, I think, interesting. I mean, we were just talking LSU at the beginning of this show. Um, Jaden Daniels, their quarterback, has always got a shot. If you know, if Quinn Ewers starts to look good, Texas is just being Texas is going to get that you know gravy train going um, for him. I mean, it's it's almost like you know. And here's a fun one too. How about Sam Hartman? You know, he did great at Wake Forest. Now he's over at Notre Dame. So once again, there's that hype machine that would be behind him there. Um, but you know, uh, Dak, I know you wanted to add something. It's like it, I totally agree with you. Uh, it's got to come out of the Pac-12. One of those teams is going to going to be coming off with no losses one loss or two loss and and they're going to have a have a fantastic year outside of Caleb Williams I mean you've got Bo Nix uh Penix uh rising um Ward and it, it's a QB stack conference might be the best quarterbacks in uh in the nation that are in the Pac-12 right now even Oregon State has uh the transfer from um DJ oh I can't pronounce it enunciate his last name from Clemson right young yeah, that guy. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy who they have. Co- I mean, he's not even going to be at media day because I think it's weird to always bring a, tra- a transfer. That's always a little bit of an odd choice. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's hard not to look in that same conference. But that said, I mean, if any team starts rolling and the more marquee the program, be it a Notre Dame and LSU, a Florida State, because, you know, again, they had a great finish to their season. Jordan Travis, you know, is, is there or Drake May at North Carolina. Um, there, there's, there's a bunch of potential there. And of course, running backs as well. I mean, can, can suddenly rise up as well. We're not going to close it out to just quarterbacks. And then my next topic is obviously, you know, there, there are some really good, uh, G five teams, you know, that, that have sort of come around in the last couple of years. Tulane would be one of them. UTSA. My question is, do you believe that there's a G five team that could make the college football playoff this year? And if so, what G5 team would it be? That is a great question. Um, You know, it's part of it is like, we almost want to see by week four, which teams have kind of cleared that, that season, that, that initial um, kind of hiccup, because sometimes the teams with the weakest records, you know, end up, you know, going close to undefeated. And at the same time, they don't get a real chance to to play for the playoffs because they don't necessarily have either that momentum that builds over several seasons or, you know, they just have some strong, a strong resume from, from some of the other teams they've knocked off. But gosh, that's a, that's a great one. I mean, some of the, I mean, you, you're right. UTSA and Tulane are going to have people's attentions right now. Boise State's always out there. Although I don't know how strong their schedule is off the top of my head this season. Uh, they open at, 
Washington and then they get UCF at home. So that's a good early one two punch for Boise. Oh State. yeah. No, no, you're right. At Washington and UCF wouldn't be an it wouldn't be a bad slate, at least to start off, especially now that UCF is in the Big Twelve. Um, but I, I think still, I mean, to be fair, I think UCF is going to be taken with a grain of salt just because it is their first year there and people are getting used to the fact that Houston, UCF, Boise, uh, probably not, I mean, not Boise, uh, BYU and, um, uh, and, and, uh, are now in that conference. But at the same time, they, 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 they would have a shot. You're right. I, I never even thought about that. Boise state would be interesting. I mean, gosh. I wouldn't give the same to Air Force because their schedule outside is, is just not that strong. They've got, you know, brand new FBS program, Sam Houston, and they got like Robert Morris. And then obviously no, no, no diss against Army and Navy. But again, those that's not going to create that kind of a, a resume for them. And uh, I'd love to hear what, how about the rest of you all up here? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. And then I also want to let you up as well, Harry, because you've been really patient. I'm big on App State. Uh, I think App State's going to have a good year. They lost. Uh, they lost a, a, a heater to uh, North Carolina. Uh, retained a decent amount of talent. Uh, uh, out of out of anybody, improbable to make that. I think they've got uh, some chance. Well, didn't App State lose their uh, offensive? I believe it was their offensive coordinator was hired at Mississippi State. Correct. So, w- do you believe that? you know, that, that would potentially hinder their ability to go undefeated in the G5, you know, having Ross or oh. having a coaching staff turnover like that. Because I do oh, agree definitely. App State's always one of the, the best G5, um, you know, teams out there. Obviously, they they had a huge upset against Texas A&M last year. I think they, they lost to Coastal in a close game at home for Coastal last year. Um, obviously, Grayson McCall, one of the, the best quarterbacks in college football. But that would just be my concern is that their offensive attack is is not going to be as effective because they lose their offensive coordinator. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think it's definitely something to take in, into consideration. I, I think uh, – and uh, the great uh, Phil Steele uh, recently had a, a blurb in his uh, in his latest magazine about this is, is – uh, teams, especially at that level um, – uh, when you think of the two lanes and the, the, the group of five teams that really had put on a show last year, uh, it, it, it's, it's statistically in previous years, uh, his, his article, I believe, was they don't perform uh, as well the next year, um, and especially now with the, uh, the transfer portal and that like. So uh, that, that's why I chose sort, sort of a team like Aspate, who's just sort of on the cusp of being really, you know, that, that, that one, two group five teams a year that uh, that really shine. Yeah, and you know it's kind of interesting too. I was thinking about App State if they can get past the game at um, North Carolina, that would be a big that I think will bring their bring them to the attention because again, North Carolina's got Drake May. They've got a lot of hype behind them. Is kind of you know will they be able to surprise people and kind of make a good contention for the ACC? And if App State manages to knock them off this time on the road rather than nearly upsetting them at home, that would get people's attention and they might move themselves to the front of being a, a potential G5 contender. But again, that's a lot of ifs, you know. So <laughs> we've all learned, decided for some of these programs and maybe you want to see the little guy win and then they'll, they'll, they'll defeat some enormous team and then they'll just barf at home against a team they shouldn't lose to. I mean, we've seen that year after year after year. So, again, you get a little wary of it. But, I mean, I 
there's a lot of teams to be excited for this season for sure. Absolutely. So yeah, um, let's see here. I just wanted to, to touch base again with uh, Jake and Michael about what's coming up this later this week with the uh, Pac-12 and Mountain West. Um, you know, what other, what is, what is the feeling? I mean, wh- I'm really going to be curious to hear what you guys start to sense from the rest of the press on, and just the people at the Pac-12 Media Days talking to coaches, because I'm sure it's going to come up, what they think about this weird lack of TV deal and how long it's dragging on. I mean, the quote that was sort of tossed out there on why they're not having a media day is apparently there's more bidders engaged, but you can't help but be skeptical. Like, who are these bidders? Did some, you know, <laughs> did the Saudi national television station suddenly enter the bidding? I mean, who, who is who are these extra bidders? It sounds like people have kind of kicked the tires and, yeah. you know, and I feel bad for the conference because they 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 reek of desperation, well, and that well, is that's going to always be a disadvantage in a negotiation. When of course there's so many legal issues arising with how do you how do you pay for and how do you distribute and how do you control the rights to everything? Um, how do you distribute those rights uh, fairly for both sides is always such a, a tricky question, and I think. The, the fact of streaming services and their their growth, but also the the threat that they have to, um, you know, to, to regular broadcast uh, media is, is such a strange one. And, and for the Pac-12 to uh, to be flirting with things like Apple or Amazon, uh, potentially, they create both opportunities for the future. Certainly, I know for my household, we don't have cable. We just have a series of, you know, streaming services that we kind of <laughs> share with other people. Um, and so if that's the future that we're heading toward, it makes, you, it makes you think that certainly that's going to be something where if there's a conference that moves in that direction, it could be smart, but it's also very perilous. It, it comes with a lot of potential opportunity costs and a lot of concerns for what, uh, what might happen if it doesn't succeed the way they want. The other big one that comes up is the CW, and everybody kind of laughed at it, made fun of it, but a lot of people brought up the fact that the CW really is a over the you know, over the TV, you just need a, you just need to plug your TV and turn it on. And so there are some advantages to that versus having to pay for Apple TV plus or what have you. So it's a really interesting conversation. And I think it's, it's, it's why it's taken them so long. Kind of looking at this, it's really interesting to see as we move forward again, as I said earlier, it's now been basically a one year anniversary of when they said they were going to be looking at figuring out a new TV media deal before the 2024 season. And again, it's fascinating to watch Big 12. They just wrapped up their own media days. And seeing them, it almost sounds like, again, we've heard that the Big 12 is interested in Colorado and and interested in Arizona because those two teams apparently, by reports, have been the most willing to listen to what's being sold to them. But then, you know, even UConn was starting to come in as a potential uh, program that might be brought in, which actually, when I heard it, the more I thought about it, the less crazy it sounded. I mean, obviously, Mora has done a bit of work to get people to to respect, you know, I'm not saying he's turned them around into something miraculous. They were not quite the team that made it to a New Year's Six Bowl. But at the same time, I mean, suddenly they're, they, they definitely have cachet. They've got a good basketball program. Suddenly that would push the Big 12 towards the Northeast. But at the same time, I mean, I think he's still really interested in bringing in Colorado or uh, Arizona and maybe the others that uh, from the border states. 
It's a fascinating thing. And again, we're all waiting. I've never seen so much pressure on a negotiation team in college sports than I have whoever is the person negotiating this deal for the Pac-12 media rights because this is this is absolutely nuts for them. When I last, If I may, I was going to say, last year at the media days, the whole overall vibe was like this, the, the conference is close to death without the L.A. schools. And as Michael was saying earlier, most of the schools were like, no, we're fine. We're, you know, the remaining 10 will be fine. That was about nine of them were saying that. There was one, Oregon, was very specifically saying, we may have to go year by year and see what kind of like media deal we get. Where the other schools were like, we're going to be fine. The media deal that we're going to get is going to be great. And now we will only have to split it 10 ways instead of 12. So we're going to be just fine. But Oregon was the one that was saying, no, let's, let's probably go year by year at this point. And I think there was a lot of that like necessity of being unrealistic where they were saying they were fine and they didn't actually believe the words that they were saying. And we've crossed the year point, haven't we? Since they said that, oh, we'll have a new media deal and it'll be fine. And so I think it's got the Colorado and Arizona. And if Arizona goes, Arizona State's got to follow, right? Looking to other places. Yeah, it's, it is. It really speaks to how disunited each of the programs are in terms of their desired outcomes, right? What it is that the schools uh, institutionally want for themselves, right? Washington sees itself very aligned with the Berkeley Stanford group, uh, but then you see Oregon, which isn't really un- aligned in the same way. They're really looking for a way out. You see Colorado and Arizona that don't see the same value of that alignment uh, the way that a school like Utah does. Uh, Utah's been wildly changed over the past decade and a half. Uh, they're kind of unrecognizable from what they look like uh, you know, in 2010 when they were invited to the conference. And so those athletically and academically yeah and so the there's a there's a tension inside these institutions about what it is that the desire is and i I don't think you see that in some of the other conferences certainly the big 12 looks as united as a conference can everybody's kind of steering in the same direction and, and wants the same outcomes um and i think that part of the reason why we're seeing this deal become so protracted and so difficult is because each of the different partners, each of the different players wants uh, such a disparate outcome. You know, I want to just slightly shift to the Mountain West for a second, Michael, because I know this is a team after your heart. Fresno State, you know, last season ended with just a a very strong finish, you know, rattling off all those wins, getting the bull win over Wazoo and the LA Bull where Jake, you were in the press box for that one. Um, It was fun. And, uh, yeah, I know. That was, I forgot that was the, the Jimmy Kimmel one. But um, Jimmy Kimmel, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and he came up to the press box, didn't he? Yeah. No Mark <laughs> Rober this year, but we had uh, both Jimmy and his uh, his sidekick, um, oh, Guillermo. Oh, that's hilarious. But but going back to Fresno State, I mean, you lose Jake Hayner. How, how do you think they're going to stack up heading into the Mountain West this season? Yeah, it's going to be very difficult. Um, uh, you know, as much as we we put everything on Jake Hayner, Evan Williams was such an important factor, and, and his loss is significant. I think we're seeing, we've kind of talked tonight about uh, the difficulties of the portal and, and how it's an opportunity for so many players and so many institutions and, and, and programs, but it's also, uh, it can also be the bane of others' existence. Um, we did bring in uh, from UCF, uh, we have Mikey Keene. Uh, so that's somebody that we're excited about as a possible replacement from from UCF for uh, 
for Jake Hayner. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of circumspection, certainly. I think there's a lot of programs when you look around uh, who was invited to the uh, media days as a player. Um, you have, you know, certain standout players, uh, DJ Scram and, uh, of course, uh, from... Um, San Jose State, you've got Siobhan Cordero. Uh, so there are some standout players, but a lot of the, the a lot of turnover conference-wide. It's not just for Fresno State, uh, but we're really seeing not just from graduation, but also uh, from you know, being plucked away, <laughs> being absconded by the, uh, the power schools. It's a real issue for the West, and it's one that I think is going to be a, a pretext to some degree and certainly a subtext to a large degree in our conversations. Um, I should mention as well that one of the, the funny situations uh, about tomorrow's um, media day here in Las Vegas uh, is that it's being held at the Circa Hotel uh, here in downtown Las Vegas. Um, the reason I bring that up is because it's a, a 21 and over hotel. Uh, so the only, uh, all of the players who were brought had to be uh, above uh, 21. So kind of, I was, just, with some I was just about to mention that too. There's a little like aside when you said the players, no, 21 every, and only every player had to be over 21 this time. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're pretty yeah. fun to go into the hotel. I was carded myself when I went in there this um, yeah, they're taking, uh, you know, security there very seriously, adults only location. And so you do. Yeah. Uh, so that's why everyone on the roster is a junior or senior. So it's, it's actually kind of funny. There's a few prominent, um, few prominent players we were kind of like well why aren't they there right you think about tailing green for boise state who was uh uh you know had a really impressive season for them and just uh he's he's too young <laughs> he can't, can't go to the <laughs> not 21 that's hilarious which, and i which, love the fact know, the pac-12 is going to be there too like at the which, end of the week yeah well they're at resorts world so you don't have to be 21 there but you do at circa in a way i feel like we asked the players uh before that were in vegas like hey what'd you do last night and the one guy's like oh i went to in and out and i kind of looked at him he's like yeah i'm only 19 and i was like oh yeah this town is not made for you i'm sorry and i'm like but, funny, hey man. i'm glad you got the in and out hey he can go to circus circus and play some games i mean you know <laughs> Yeah, we had a number of similar conversations at the 2019 uh, Mountain West Media Day about this with the players where, um, you know, Vegas felt a little limiting to them in some ways. And uh, obviously they were, you know, there to represent their school and to be on their best behavior. But uh, there is a sense that maybe having, um, you know, actual 21 year old adults gives them a chance to have a little bit more fun in a, in a, a still healthy, but uh, yeah. Maybe a different way than in previous years. So that's kind of great for them. Um, that's great. Hey, Thack, I know your hands up. What's going on, man? Oh well, yeah, man. I, I just want to say, uh, that, well, obviously, thank you, Michael and uh, and uh, Waterboy for your coverage. But uh, I just touched on what Michael said. Uh, it's not just uh, players that are getting plucked by the big power schools. Uh, offensive coordinator Kirby Moore of Fresno State moving to uh, offensive coordinator Missouri. I believe it's Pat McCann is the replacement. How how are how are things uh, feeling uh, at, over at Fresno State with uh, Pat McCann taking over a, a monster offensive season uh, by offensive coordinator Kirby Moore? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of the focus uh, this year at Fresno State is on the defense. There's a lot, a lot of returners on on uh, the defensive side, um, and it's expected to be a very strong defense. Uh, it, it is an unusual situation for Fresno State. It's you, you know, you think about all of the Fresno State greats going back to Derek and David Carr and Trent Dilfer, um, but for us to you know really be a, a very offensive focused uh, program in the past, um, it, it it does hurt. But of course. 
Uh, Jeff Tedford uh, is the quarterback guru, and so bringing in uh, someone from uh, UCF and Mikey Keene. Of course, we also have Logan Fife, who uh, didn't do uh, the best job filling in uh, for Jay Kaner, but he was also put in some tricky situations. Uh, I guess UConn doesn't really count as one, but certainly going to Boise State uh, in the middle of the season was a challenge for him. Um, so it's a, kind of a quarterback competition, and I think the scheme is going to be largely led and directed to a degree, and I'm going to have to speak with him about this uh, tomorrow when I meet uh, Jeff Tedford, I guess the day after tomorrow in person. We can ask him about these these questions about how that's going. Um, but I think the general sense is that in Tedford, everyone trusts. It's kind of the, the overall theme I think you find. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I was looking at a quote, uh, again, from SEC Media Day that was tweeted out today by uh, Brett McMurphy, where Drink over at Mizzou is, you know, somebody asked him about hiring Kirby Moore from Fresno State. And his quote was, at the end of last season, we were ineffective on the offensive side of the ball. I was, I wasn't, you know, he's taking ownership. I wasn't giving us the best advantage, so it was time to turn over the play calling to someone else, and uh, and that's going to be former Fresno State offensive coordinator Kirby Moore. Meanwhile, speaking of offensive coordinators, I I can't mention SEC offensive coordinators and not mention one of the more awkward quotes. Uh, it was popular in RCFB yesterday because um, again, Texas A&M's Jimbo Fisher apparently wouldn't be answer totally straight if uh, Bobby Petrino, who's his offense coordinator again, <laughs> will call plays. The quote was, I'm not going to get into that. Bobby was hired for a reason. Tremendous guy, tremendous football mind. Hopefully he'll call the game and have suggestions. <laughs> to which, you know, it, it, I think sometimes, and, and to some extent, I always wonder if coaches necessarily just, you know, again, we're not hiring them because they're great at speaking. We're hiring them because they're great at X's and O's and, you know, and Nick Saban, you get the recruiting as well. But uh, it's, I think quotes like that don't go over entirely well. They, they feed in the fears. So my favorite quote was, again, from Texas A&M fan. Uh, I guess it's Ketchup Tiger 27. My worst nightmare, interim coach Bobby Petrino. Um, <laughs> so we'll see where that goes. I mean, you got someone who knows how to coach a program there, especially if they decide to pull the trigger on some insane buyout. When I'll jump in here to just mention that I think this is one of the things that you see when you when that's really neat about media days is you kind of see a little bit of that sausage made. You see the coaches that are really very comfortable and are are faces of programs. Uh, you think about um, certain like uh, Craig Bull at Wyoming. Um, or Brady, Brady Hoke, maybe less so, but uh, I guess I'm thinking of Coach Long when he was at San Diego State. Uh, yeah. Gregarious, uh, very open and engaging. Um, and you see that maybe their leadership style is to let their position coaches do the, the, the X's and O's work, and their job is really to sort of be a manager. And then you also have guys who, you know, it's very clear that they're not comfortable <laughs> in front of the media and that this is something that they have to do. Um, you kind of have that, that joke about Marshawn Lynch, right? He's just here so he won't get fined. Um, and you, you definitely see coaches for whom that's the case. Um, and it makes you realize that, you know, if it, it might be even better if I could speak to your coordinators um, because those are the guys that uh, really are managing this team in the, in the specific ways of day-to-day football practice. Yeah, setting aside how he did at Auburn, Brian Harson was like that. He was definitely like talking to him at media day because I I went to a couple of the Mountain West media days before YouTube went. And uh, I was always like, you can tell this is a guy who likes a coach. 
but he doesn't really, this is not a favorite part of his job and he makes you feel it. But yeah, exactly. Um, uh, person though to speak to because he there's something very martial very military about him like he had uh you wanted to stand more erect in front of him and, and almost salute like he was a very he had a very intimidating presence i i i see why people would want to play for him and i know that everything went very differently at auburn uh than it did uh, at boise state but when he was at boise state there was definitely something very commanding about his presence i don't know if you if you found yeah that. Well, and troy calhoun's a great example and he's yeah. still at air force he's the best he's the best at spar at, at making sure he can not answer your question yes. like the more specific it is the better he is at yes. sounding like he's answering your question and not giving you a thing well he's incredibly erudite and 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 loquacious and and well spoken it's really fun talking to him i'm excited about speaking with him again uh because he's got not just a keen mind but he goes beyond football. I think a lot of the other coaches, it's very clear, they're football first. But I think with uh, someone like Calhoun, uh, there's there's a lot more going on in his head than football. And it's not like he's bad at it. They're they're usually the. I think every ranking I've seen preseason has him as a number two, um, the number two in the Mountain West. So it's not like he doesn't know what he's doing on the field as well. Well, well you know. Also- I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, it's it's one of those things where every coach I spoke to in 2019, you didn't even have to ask them about, about Air Force. If they were going to play Air Force, it was it pained them to have to play Air Force because they have to scheme and they have to plan so differently. They essentially have to practice several weeks before in order to prepare to prepare uh, to play those to play that that type of scheme. And you could see how much it, it pained them to be in the same league with a, a scheme like that. That is the glory of the Mountain West. You have so many different programs. It's, I mean, with a wide range of football. I mean, I'm still excited. I mean, I still want to see Hawaii take off again, you know, because they're they're, they're kind of forgotten right now. They, they're kind of, I mean, Timmy Chang's got a process. We're sure it's tough to, to coach out there. But, um, yeah, it's yeah. their schedule's always brutal at the same time, too. They need to keep taking money games because it's expensive to run the program. At Hawaii, I mean, they even have the entire Hawaii rule to allow more teams to go play there to help them uh, get their budget closer to the black, even though I don't think they ever quite reach it. And by the way, one other program I don't think that gets talked about enough, but it is always fun to see them at Mountain West Media Day is UNLV because it is the hometown team. It's a little weird because from previous experience, you know, You'll go there, you'll know typically it'll be like Boise State, maybe Wyoming, you know, was was really big there for a couple of seasons, um, and, and whoever else is the team of that year. But UNLV would be really funny because you'd have all the local TV channels show up, and they would go and interview the head coach, whoever it is, even if they were not favored, and then they'd all vanish again as the national media would kind of, or the I should say the regional media and the national media would kind of stick with the teams. But I think... Obviously, it's it's a new. Uh, I'm very curious to see how Odom does there. And you know, Thack, I'd love to ask you on this. You're a Mizzou guy. What we've talked about it before, but what are you thinking about this match between the former Mizzou coach and UNLV? Uh, it, it's it's an interesting one. And, uh, and to be fair, uh, I mean Barry Odom kind of took over a tough situation. Um, uh, I, I don't think he uh, he was the 
greatest X and O guy. Uh, he he fared fairly well in recruiting, however, um, especially in the SEC, where it's very very difficult to get those top recruits. So uh, I, I'm happy for him as a former Mizzou player. Um, I, I thought he was a great player. I thought he was an all right coach. I think UNLV is a great step back for him to sort of reassess, and then uh, um, I'm hoping he finds either a home there or makes his way back up to the top. Uh, I think it's a it's an interesting match, but uh, I mean he's a hell of a coach. Uh, I think he'll do pretty damn well at UNLV. And if I can jump in uh, to kind of uh, feed off of that, there was a really interesting dynamic uh, speaking with the different coaches back in 2019. Um, obviously, we had Coach Bobo at Colorado State, um, and he was so different. He's he's no longer there now. It's Jay Norvell, but um, it was so interesting speaking to him because he was so different than the other coaches. Because culturally, so many of the coaches were Western. They were of the West. They were they were Californians, or they were you know kind of New Mexican or something very Western, kind of have a different cultural attitude. Um, and I think whenever you find uh, folks from SEC country come out to the West Coast, it's always really interesting to speak to them about uh, the differences and, and some of the ways that they can um, they can make it, take advantage of those differences, but also some of the ways that uh, those uh, those challenge those become challenges for uh, leading you know uh, men in the West. Um, I, I wonder if that's something that resonates with. Oh man, I gotta say, I just ever talking to Mike Bobo was always fun because it was such a different. Yeah, it the, it was like I mean from the accent, the moment you started talking, you're like, wow, how are you in? Like, how did you end up out here? Uh, <laughs> and I mean, and again, it didn't obviously end up working out. Uh, which is, you know, Colorado State's had a series of mishires in the wild. But so far, hopefully we'll see how that goes. You know, I wanted to say we just let up one more person. I want to give him a chance. Um, it just means more podcast. What's going on? Hey, brother. Uh, wanted to know what you guys think about the uh, Cal and Auburn matchup. Seems like it'd be a little closer than most people think. Ooh, that's a good one. Hey, Jake, do you want to do you have thoughts on how those two would match up? I don't have many strong thoughts for Cal. That's for sure. Um, man, they're just they're like annually disappointing in the pack. And anytime a West Coast team is playing any SEC team, it just doesn't go well for them. Yeah, I, I tend to lean that way too. Cal yeah. is just not looking that strong. This I don't think they're they're somewhere in the middle of the Pac-12 every ranking I've seen. It's not like they're they're one of the the standouts. And Auburn again, yeah. I mean Hugh Freeze. I think everyone's curious to see how well that match is going to go because obviously it's I'm not going to belabor all the conversations that were had when that hiring process went through but even though again they're not necessarily ranked near the top of the the SEC West and some of the preseason polls it's still Auburn and they can still do a lot and I think Cal right now just feels a middle of the road Pac-12 team versus what might be a middle of the road SEC team I'm going with the SEC team in that kind of a matchup. This is just it's and and especially again setting aside all the the stuff that was circus off the field. You freeze can coach, and it, I think a lot of expectations are going to go to see how the team does. Now, of course, you say I say all of that, and we have seen many a time where a team has just sort of embarrassed itself or surprised us, but. I'm not, I wouldn't, uh, as a betting man, I wouldn't necessarily go against that. I mean, yeah, it's going to be at Cal, but that just means it'll be a quieter game for all the players involved. So, I mean, it's not like you're I, going. And I, I love that take. I think uh, 
I think Hugh Freeze can coach if people can get past his personality. But I thought if uh, if Cal's going to grab a an out of conference game, I think uh, maybe the rookie coach maybe drops that. But uh, I like that a lot. I think uh, I think Cal's very middle of the pack. Last year, you know, Cal they lost to Notre Dame and it was kind of close. And I thought, all right, like they may have a season. And then they like when they got the conference play, they just like lost every game. It was just endless. I think they beat Stanford at the end of the year by a field goal or something, but it, it was like fool's gold. And so that's how I feel about Cal this year. Same team as last year, you know, they couldn't do in the pack. How are they going to beat any team? Could be Vanderbilt from the SEC. They'd be in trouble. Yeah. Cal is just so hard. Cause I mean, it's so funny too. You made me think like how much, how much uh, lead do they still keep giving Justin Wilcox? Cause he's now been there. I think it's going to be year seven for him. And, uh, They've been to a couple bowls, but it's it's not been great. Um, for, for more coming in from UCLA in the future, so they've got that to look forward to to help them out. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, no. So I think I I, I think Auburn is is probably going to be favored, and I wouldn't. I would be surprised if Cal puts up much because again, we're it's so funny because here we were just talking about all the great players in the Pac-12. The Cal didn't come up. <laughs> <laughs> and they've certainly i mean that's not to say cal is hopeless i mean they've there have been some incredible talent coming out of cal over the years like i mean we're just talking about marshall Lynch for gosh sake but i mean still this is not this this doesn't seem to be their season and and you know for any cal bears fans that have somehow emerged from their slumber um to listen to a show like this you know maybe you'll be right maybe i'll be wrong and, and you guys will go and uh, uh just completely go and blow everyone out you know but I mean, right now, I think Cal just needs to focus on beating North Texas at North Texas, um, and then we'll we'll go from there. <laughs> I've less. I don't even mean that. I mean, I have nothing but confidence that Auburn's going to roll over UMass. But as far as Cal, I think just baby steps, beat North Texas. That that's all I. That's all we need to see from you, Bears. Well, you know, a, a state. Oh, fan, go ahead. How the how uh, North Texas finagled them to get them to play out there because we've been trying to get a game with them for. Been, been tricky oh that disrespect that the uh states the ucs have towards their in-state i mean i'm not gonna hey you know and the private schools as well i mean stanford and usc have been guilty of that as well not necessarily playing at fresno state um i think people are also a little bit afraid of playing at fresno state because it is a wild environment i still remember the the famous uh, was it 2001 you know that was the first year i think we thought for a second this is before they altered the BCS rules enough to make it more fair to allow um, some of the uh, the uh, G5 teams to have competition. But when it was David Carr at you know Fresno State and they upset you know a uh, ranked Oregon State team, they started winning. People were like, "Wow, this could be the team that would make it." So I always think of Fresno State as that team that for a while there. They're the ones that made people realize, you know, there could be a path. Um, and then over the t years, it was it was they made it so that it was a little more fair for those G5 programs. You know, typically we run this show for about an hour, um, especially as we get closer to the season. It was half an hour for a while there. But I think we're going to go ahead and so slowly start wrapping this up. This is RCFB Talk 147. My name is Bob Ekhayeri. We do these every Tuesday night at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Pacific. And there's also a mountain time zone. We're always welcome to join us. We love hearing from you. I want to thank everyone who joined us. Thak, Michael, Jake, 
you know, it's it just means more podcasts. And everyone else who was up here earlier was great talking to all of you about what's going on and can't wait to see what happens this next week. We're in media days. It's things happen. Stories get dropped. We'll see what's coming up next week. So until then, I'm going to hang up and listen.